You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. And now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors, everyone. This is Rochelle here with Corey. Hey. Yep. Welcome back. And we are going to talk today a little bit about housing again. It's kind of a hot topic. This is going to be a an episode focused specifically on some things that may or may not be happening to folks based on interest rates and changing interest rates and changing living situations and things like that. But it's basically sometimes a good opportunity to rent out a home that you already have with a low interest mortgage. Like there's some opportunities to do that, especially in some some pretty defined circumstances. So we're going to talk about a few examples today of where that can potentially be really beneficial. And one thing that kind of brought this about is that Corey has a, a client who owns their home in a city, which we will not name to protect anonymity here, but they're considering moving to another town nearby. It's relatively in the same area. They can stay at the same job, but they're not sure if they like the new town or that town. So they're going to test it out first and keep their existing home and rent it out. They're going to rent it out for slightly more than it costs them in terms of like mortgage taxes, insurance, everything like that. So they're going to cover all of their costs on that home. And then in the new place, they're going to rent there for considerably less than they're previously paying for their mortgage, which means that they're going to be saving several thousand dollars a month. They're going to cover all of the housing costs on the the existing house. They're going to pay a little bit in rent, but really like they're out of pocket. It's going to be significantly less, which is a really, really interesting circumstance. And that can depend a little bit on where you live. In some places, it's just cheaper to rent than it is to buy in some situations. Um, And if you already have a, a mortgage that's at a fairly low interest rate, it could be that you can rent out your existing home and cover all of those costs, which is not always the case. And we'll talk about that a little bit too. It's really not for everyone. Like this is something that will always be a case-by-case evaluation of what your goals are and also like how it pencils out for you financially because it will pencil out for some people and it won't for others. But it's something that we just wanted to explore a little bit today because I think as interest rates continue to increase and you have these mortgages that were locked in over the last several years at two and a half, three, three and a half percent, like there really are some low cost home payments out there compared to what they would be now. Yeah, especially if you bought your home, you know, a handful of years ago or more. Like if you bought a home seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, like odds are in, in a lot of cities, it's probably worth double what you paid. Mm-hmm. Um, so your mortgage payment is a lot lower, you know, especially if you're were smart and refinanced at a three percent mortgage rate um, in twenty. 2021 early 22 um you know odds are you're like you won't be able to buy a new home of similar specifications for anywhere near the cost that you're currently paying or if maybe you even have your home paid off if you've you've owned it for a while um so so it's definitely like rochelle said case by case not for everyone i mean for some of you you may as well just stop listening now because you have zero desire to move or (laughs) No, listen to the whole thing just so you have information. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, listen so maybe you can share with a friend. But um, 
but yeah, it, it's uh, you know, for for some people, it's just too much of a hassle. Like, you know, no, I don't want to move. Moving sucks. I don't care if I could make a couple bucks by doing this arbitrage. You know, rent out for more than I'm paying, pay rent that caught that's less than I'm currently paying in a mortgage, and pocket the difference, invest it, etc. And then that's the key to make this all work is you got to be productive with the difference. If you're just going to increase your lifestyle and spend it then it's probably going to backfire on you because eventually you'll probably want to buy a home again and it's going to be more expensive. Or if you move back to your existing home that you own, you're going to have to go back to paying what you previously were paying. So it, it, you, know, you want to make sure you're doing something productive with that difference if, it's, if, it's, uh, if that's what you're going to consider. But it, is, it does present a unique opportunity, um, especially if you're considering... A move like maybe you, you live in a, a certain area of the country and you want to maybe move to another area of the country and you might want to just test it out first like we've talked about before definitely advise people rent in a especially if they're moving to a new city and taking a new job you know rent for probably the first year just to make sure you like the area you like the job you're gonna be happy because I've seen numerous people buy a home don't like the job that they're at or don't like the area they're in. They want to move and a year later they got to try and sell a home and it ends up just costing them tens of thousands of dollars or maybe even more, hundred thousand dollars just to like, in, if they just rented, they would have been much you know better off, more flexible, etc. So, uh, but yeah, so we're going to dive into some of this uh, today and talk about how this, this could work out in your favor if you want to seriously consider it. Yeah. I think the rental market is still really strong, partially because there's just still a housing supply shortage, and that's part of what makes this work. So as interest rates are going up, fewer people are wanting to sell their homes because they think that they're not going to be able to get as much for it, basically. You know, and, and people still need places to live. And it's probably more attractive to rent for a lot of people because mortgages have become so much more expensive as well. So there's lots of reasons that this can potentially like pencil out for you. It's just a matter of, of doing that math again. And it's important to note also that real estate markets are really localized. You know, what, what happens in the Bay Area versus what happens in Ohio is very different. And like the, the cost of renting versus the cost of buying is going to be very, very different. Um, but yeah, so we'll we'll go through a, a few options, and it really will depend a lot on where you are, where you're going, all of that kind of stuff. Um, I think we have one example here to just start with, but there is a, a website called Smart Asset that has a lot of different resources, but there's one that does like a, a price-to-rent ratio in the 50 largest cities in the United States, which is kind of helpful. So what it basically does is it looks at the cost of renting and the cost of buying and gives you like a differential. Like how much more expensive is it to buy than it is to rent or how much less expensive is it depending on what city you're looking at. So San Jose is one of the most expensive places where you can buy a home and the average house there costs 42 times more to buy than one year's worth of average rent. So the average home price is about $1.26 million and the average annual rent is $30,000. So that's a huge difference. Like That's insane. And I think that all the time people assume buying is better than renting because you're putting money towards a home payment and things like that. I think a big part of that calculation, though, that you have to consider right now is like even if you are buying, 
and you're not putting very much down and you're paying 6 7% interest, most of your money is not going towards building equity and building principal in that home. Most of your money is going towards paying the bank their interest. So there's a lot of different things that we want to keep in mind here and not necessarily assume. Um, if you did want to buy a house in a place like San Jose and we assume you're putting 20% down on like that average home price, it would probably be around $250,000 plus closing costs. And then the mortgage, maybe around 6.5%. That's fairly average right now. And that would cost about $6,400 per month with just plus the taxes and insurance. So that $6,400 a month is just the principal and interest. And then there's maintenance. Like when you're renting, you're not responsible for that. When you own a home, you are. Like period. And there will be maintenance. Like even if you buy something that is move-in ready and seems perfect, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Eventually something will go wrong. There will be repairs. Like just there will be. That's part of owning a home. So owning probably costs, you know, maybe eight or $9,000 a month on average or about $100,000 per year. So you could potentially rent for $30,000 per year, which is the average annual rental cost, or own for $100,000 per year, plus the $250,000 that you put down up front. That's huge. So that's $70,000 per year that you could potentially be putting towards something else is probably much more than what you would potentially be building in equity in your home. And that that's hard to say because we don't know like how quickly your home price is going to appreciate and things like that. But just generally speaking, that's a big difference to try to make up for. So in most circumstances, I think renting in San Jose probably would make more financial sense. So do the math anytime you're considering making a purchase like this. It's, a home is a huge commitment. And that's the other thing is like, you know, renting, you sign a lease. You know, maybe you're you're sort of kind of stuck there for a year, but realistically, you can also break a lease. It may be kind of expensive. But, you know, buying a home, it's going to be way harder to get out of that than getting out of a rental you don't like. So it's easy to assume that buying is better than renting, but it's not always the case. Yeah, we're just talking averages here. You know, San Jose, decent-sized city, like, you know, the neighborhood you might want to live in, homes might cost two, three, four million dollars. Um, whereas renting in that neighborhood, you know, might be 5,000 a month. Still math works way better in the renting side of the equation. Um, but yeah, it really is case by case. What specific neighborhood are you looking at? Not even what city, but like what street, um, what block it can really, really vary. Um, now on the flip side, so we looked at one of the most expensive cities. Uh, well, and I, and I guess the way Smart Asset does is what's the most extreme ratio? So the ratio of uh, ownership versus renting. Um, so San Jose, maybe not the most expensive city in the country, although it is one of the most expensive cities in the country. Um, it, it's got of the 50 largest, like that, the most extreme ratio. Now Detroit, Michigan, on the other end of the spectrum, has... The opposite scenario, the average, again, average house in Detroit only costs six times more than one year's worth of rent. So the average annual rent in Detroit is $13,000. The average home price is $76,000. So again, same math, do 20% down, that's about 15,000 plus collision costs. Um, the average mortgage would, would cost you about $400 a month, plus taxes, insurance, maintenance, and, you know, depending on how old the home is, there might be a lot of maintenance. Detroit's been around for a long time. So, you know, maybe you're paying 1000 a month on average for, for this average home we're talking about. So, 
um, still, it, it's it's less expensive to own in Detroit than it is to rent, and hopefully you're building up some equity over time as you pay down your mortgage and the, and the house hopefully appreciates to some degree in value. Hasn't really happened in Detroit in recent years, um, and by recent years, like recent decades. Uh, much more popular to live in Detroit 50 years ago, 60 years ago, 70 years ago compared to today. But um, but yeah, you know, every again, every city, every town, every neighborhood is going to be a little bit different. And I think we've talked about before, but when you know, if you're looking at moving to a new city or or any area, even if you live in a city, um, you know, buy versus rent, you know, crunch the numbers. Yeah, we're, we're conditioned as Americans to want to be homeowners. We feel like you know, like society has told us, in order to be a successful adult, you have to own your home. But not not necessarily true. The financials may not pencil out um, to own your home. In some cities, it, it's it makes way more sense to be a renter financially. Yeah, there's the emotional aspect of owning, but renting might make a lot more financial sense. In Detroit, probably not the case. You know, probably makes more sense to buy. Um, and then if you leave Detroit, you could turn your house into a rental and probably make more money than it's costing you. Yeah. I think you get a real inter like intergenerational divide here too because a lot of the clients that I talk to who are very kind of pro like I need to buy a place it's their parents it's like their parents being like you're throwing money away on rent why don't you buy something why don't you buy something you're throwing money away on rent and realistically like it was pretty different to buy a house decades ago than it is now not necessarily better or worse but it was a different set of circumstances. People approach savings differently too. You know, like in a lot of our parents' generation, there were pensions, there was social security. Like you didn't have to focus quite as much on saving and investing for yourself for retirement because there was more of a safety net for those kinds of things. So, you know, maybe the home was the big priority with your money. Maybe there weren't as many other demands on those resources. But yeah, I think that, it's it's really hard to sometimes <laughs> overcome the objections of parents because obviously we admire and respect our parents and we don't want to do what they think is right too. So just keep in mind that things change over time and they, they may not realize it. And if you look at demographic data, like, you know, Rochelle and I are millennials, maybe slightly on the older end of the millennial spectrum. But if you look at millennials, Gen Zers, those weirdos coming up behind us, um, Gen Xers, <laughs> Boomers, etc. Like our generation is right on pace with previous generations for home ownership rates, etc. So like it's, you know, when they were in their 30s and 40s, there was a much fewer percentage of Boomers owned homes than than now. Like right now, it's like 70 or 80 percent of Boomers own their homes, where when they were in their 30s or 40s, it was you know a much smaller percentage. It was like 30, 40% of them. So millennials are right on track with, with, with previous generations. So I know some of the news headlines you might see out there about, oh, broke millennials, can't afford homes, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> There's some truth to that. But if again, look at the historical data, we're, we're no different than previous generations. So mm -hmm. um, no shame in renting, um, You know, no shame in buying either, but make sure do what's right for you. Um, again, can't emphasize this enough. Real estate is very, very localized. Um, I guess to, 
jumping back one one more point on the my brain's bouncing all over the place right now but on the whole millennial thing um <laughs> some our like our generation is partly responsible for driving up housing prices just because the household formation so you know people you know, when they're young in their 20s, maybe early 30s, often live with roommates. And then as they start to get married, have kids, etc., they ditch their roommates, get their own place, you know, start a family. So that, you know, millennials are now the largest generation out there in terms of just population. The household formation, you know, you know, you live with three roommates, all three of you go get your own houses. That's two new households that are being formed. It previously was one household. Now it's three households. So, you know, that's partly low supply, lack of inventory, more households being formed, you know, even though interest rates are higher, you know, it's still propping up prices just because more households are being formed there. And it's also keeping demand like rental demand high as well. You know, there's not enough supply to meet demand. Um, so that's why this is a really interesting time for housing. But so back to real estate being very localized, like can't emphasize it enough. Everyone knows in their own city and town that they live in, you know, here's a nice neighborhood. Go one mile down the road. That's a less nice neighborhood. You know, here's a popular location for young professionals. You know, which is probably more renters um, in a lot of cases. And here's a popular spot for families. You know, more homeowners in that general area. So like these averages that we've been talking about. Again, it's these are just the average for an entire city. There's a lot of different sections of an entire city. Um, so so keep that in mind. Um, let's see what else we got, Rochelle. Yeah, I mean, you can even look at specific zip codes and you can do this in Zillow. You can look at rentals by zip code. You can look at homes for sale by zip code. But just as one example, Atherton, California, the priciest zip code in the U.S., I think. It's a small town near Stanford. On Zillow, there's 32 homes for sale when we looked it up and only one was listed for less than $5 million. The median home value there is closer to like $7.5 million. And then there were eight homes for rent there. You could get a four-bedroom, three-and-a-half bath, 2,100 square foot for $11,500 per month. So rent's not cheap there either. <laughs> you can get a 5,000-square-foot home there for $16,000 per month. But again, that's this is a place where most people are going to be buying. Like if they're going to be settling there, if they can afford to live there, they're probably going to buy a home there. Yeah, a lot of money there. Like Stephen Curry, basketball star, lives there. Yeah, right? yeah. And, you know, maybe if you're a basketball player, it makes sense to rent because you might get traded. But yeah. most of them are probably going to buy anyway. <laughs> I think Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> lives there, too. Um, oh, he might be next go. door in Menlo Park, but same difference. It's pricey. <laughs> Expensive, yeah. So, I mean, if we're going to talk about buying a $7.5 million home, it would cost you know, probably at least one and a half million down with 20%. Like, you don't get into a home that pricey without a 20% down payment. And then you have a $6 million mortgage, which would cost between thirty-five dollars and $40,000 per month, depending on the interest rate, plus the taxes, insurance, and maintenance. You know the property insurance is probably, or not property, well, the insurance, but also the taxes are probably crazy. So, I mean, probably close to $50,000 a month. If you could instead rent something, that's like, $12,000 a month, still a lot of money, but nothing close to $50,000 per month. Or you could splurge and get the $16,000 a month rental. So, you know, even in the nicest neighborhood in America, you can rent for like a quarter of the cost of owning, which is kind of crazy to think about. Like we're talking about very extreme numbers here, but still like the, the differential there is huge. 
But hey, like for some of you listening, you know, you're a you know specialized surgeon making high six figures. Like you could afford a twelve thousand dollar a month rental and get into that really nice neighborhood. Whereas, you, like, no way you can afford to buy that place. Um, mm-hmm. So, some food for thought. Now, back to this whole original premise of what started this, you know, what if you own a home and and then you want to potentially move rent for less, you know, cover your costs of ownership and and build an asset that someone else pays for and you save money while spending less in rent? Um, You know, like, can you receive more in rent than the house is costing you? Again, if you've owned the home for a while, there's a good chance. If you recently bought the home, probably not. you know, depending on the circumstances, again, case by case. But if the average rent in San Jose is 30000 a year, you probably can't receive much more in rent for the average home than, than that. So, if, you know, if you have a home that you bought for, you know, a million dollars, you're not going to cover your costs if it's an, av- you know, an average home there. But it all depends on the neighborhood you're in. You know, now, what about short-term rentals? So, we're, you know, long-term rentals is what that smart asset article analyzed. You know, what about short-term rentals like Airbnb type properties? Um, definitely a little bit more of a headache as a landlord, but you could outsource that responsibility to a property manager, a real estate agent, someone that does that. There's actually real estate agents out there that will, you know, say, hey, I want to rent your home so that I can rent it out on Airbnb. You know, they'll pay you the fixed rate per month. You know, they take all the risk of being able to rent it out, manage it, etc. You get your your fixed, uh, you know, monthly rent for the year, and then you know they list it on Airbnb and fetch whatever they can get. You know, if they can get three times what they're paying, good for them. Maybe you raise their rent a little bit the following year. But uh, but um, you know, if you if you can, you know, possibly rent it out for more, especially if it's in a popular vacation destination, like you have a place near Disneyland or in Florida or Scottsdale, Nashville, you know, whatever. Um, you know, you potentially could get a lot of, of uh, renters coming through there on a, on a regular basis. Um, Airbnb is you know, also challenging right now. A lot of people bought up properties during the pandemic to turn into Airbnbs, so that market is somewhat saturated. Uh, it's not a super easy thing to, to profit on, but again, case by case basis, depending on your circumstances, you might be able to come out ahead in that scenario. So again, something to consider if you you know think you might want to make a move elsewhere, um, or if you're just a financial nerd and are thinking, wait a second, so I can come out like several thousand dollars ahead by doing this housing arbitrage thing, you know, go for it if you want to do that. But you know, most people are going to be more of like inclined to move and relocate to another city for personal reasons, not for financial reasons. Absolutely. Like, you, like Rochelle, I don't think like you've owned your home for a while in Portland. I don't think you want to say, hey, Nick, let's rent our place out, make more money than we're paying and go get a rental down the street, pay less than we're currently paying and invest the difference so we can retire sooner. Like I'm, I'm guessing that doesn't appeal to you. No, that sounds like so much work. <laughs> But on, I mean, maybe it becomes more attractive the larger the dollar is too. You know, for like sure. If it's, if it's several, several thousand dollars a month, maybe then I don't. Know, maybe then it's worth considering. But again, I think you're right that it's <laughs> it's going to be those people who are like, "Ooh, how can I squeeze every dollar out of you know everything that I'm doing in order to." retire early or whatever it is but maybe if you're single you know less of a hassle to uproot yeah, the family that's so true that's a that's a good point too 
yeah, hypothetically, I think in recent years, there's a lot of people that are fleeing these high cost of um, high cost of living areas like the coastal regions and north northeast. And then there's population influxes into the Midwest and the South. So, you know, if that's something that you're looking at doing, especially in medicine where you can potentially make more money in like a lower cost of living area, um, let's say you already own a home on the West Coast or in the Northeast or something like that. And if you have owned it for a while, like Corey was saying, if you have a really low mortgage interest rate, potentially you can rent it for more than your costs are currently. And you could consider moving to a city where you can pay substantially less in rent if it's a lower cost of living area. And I mean, you could make a lot more money that way and potentially earn more. So that's that's a big difference. And again, I think that is absolutely something where most people aren't going to do that just for financial reasons. Like hopefully there are also some personal reasons too, but it's easier to do if you're single or unattached and don't have a lot of family obligations. Um, you could maybe even leave your place fully furnished and just rent it out furnished and earn a little extra money that way and move to a fully furnished home so you don't have to worry about moving everything all over the place. That's also attractive if you think it may be something you only do short term. You know, maybe you're just trying to test it out. Like we don't want to move all the furniture back and forth all over the country if it may be something we do for a year and then go back to what we were previously doing. So lots of things to consider, lots of ways to potentially explore this. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, going back to that example, you have a home in the Northeast, West Coast, you want to move to, you know, Texas, Tennessee, North Carolina, somewhere, you know, popular places, growing places, but, you know, still a lot less expensive than the coasts. Taxes are less in some of those areas, too. Um, you know, you, you might pursue that, rent out your current home. Hopefully, again, if, if you're not covering your costs, it may not be worth it, but, um, you know, it, it could be a temporary thing if you think you might want to move back. But if you're pretty set on, on leaving the area you're in and you can make some money on the existing home, rent for considerably less than you're currently paying, start pocketing that difference. Build up your next home down payment. Maybe you rent for, you know, three, four, five years and you've got enough money to afford a, a, a home down payment in that next city. Or maybe you just keep renting forever because the cost of ownership isn't worthwhile in, in the city you're in. Um, you know, a lot of different options. Again, very, very, very case by case <laughs> per individual. A, yeah, I know. I feel like every episode we record, there's always some sort of caveat or like, oh, consider your own situation, etc. But this one, especially so. Um, and I guess that kind of bring, brings us to conclusions like this isn't going to be for everyone. It really isn't. You really have to decide if you want to be a land landlord. Like you can outsource some of those responsibilities, but you're still taking on a lot of additional risk as a landlord. So, you know, if you lose a renter, you still have to cover your costs, whether you have rental income or not. If the roof springs a leak, you got to take care of it. If, you know, everything overflows, like if you get a pipe backed up, that's your responsibility, like all of that kind of stuff. And those are all additional financial risks when it's not your home. Like you have to have a very substantial emergency reserve fund. You got to be able to cover your yourself and your expenses, but also any sort of costs associated with your rental too if something happens. So that's really important is that we have to build in some financial security before we consider things like this. Um, but it can be a really interesting way to continue to kind of grow your net worth and build your financial security over time. It can potentially be a little feather in your cap 
Absolutely. So some food for thought for you. Hope it was insightful, enlightening, entertaining. Yeah, as always, if you have any ideas, shoot us an email, find us somewhere, let us know. (laughs) Thank you for listening. See you next time. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram, Vanderzanden Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanden. Check out all of the podcast episodes on thefinitygroup.com slash podcast on our Finity Group YouTube channel or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC.